dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Anyone moved by the love of God wants to dare great things for Christ. But ironically, most of our time is spent by doing little things. When we look at the life of the Virgin Mary, the queen of heaven and earth, we see that much of her life was spent doing little things. Does this mean she wasn't a leader? Or in fact, is leadership not best expressed by the way that we do the small things? The life of Jesus and Mary in Nazareth before the beginning of his missionary life is an example of leadership in the little things. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad to have this chance to go deeper again with you in what it means to be a a Christian leader. And I love doing this because if we can put leadership into the heart of the saints, that is, if we can make Christians who believe in Christ effective leaders in the world, well, then our faith is going to have a good foundation to spread and to expand its influence throughout society. And the same way, if we could put faith and holiness and belief into the hearts of the leaders who are already in the world, well, in the same way, we're going to be able to allow our culture to be transformed by Christ. I mean, this is everything we're trying to do at the Leadership Network with the St. John Institute. We want to bring leadership to faith, faith to leadership, to bring this the power of our faith into the demands and the need that you face every day as leaders in your businesses, in your homes, in your cultures, right? So to do that, I want to look especially today at Our Lady, the, the, you know, who's of course the Virgin Mary of the Bible, the mother of Jesus, in her home at Nazareth for the years between when she came back from Egypt and when she had the, the first intervention with Christ at Cana, Uh, bidding him to change the water into wine and then therefore begin his apostolic life. There's an immense, you know, expanse of time. You could almost look at the very first 30 years of the life of Christ and and what was being done there. I mean, compare the time frames. Jesus spent 30 years in basic silence and solitude, obedient to his mother, and only three years on the highways and byways proclaiming the kingdom. Now, of course, he was proclaiming the kingdom all the time because he was Jesus and he was God and therefore he was accomplishing the Father's will. But he was accomplishing the Father's will for 30 years in relative obscurity, meaning out of the public eye. So that means he was doing normal activities in normal ways as a normal part of the society to which he belonged. And he was so good at it that when he finally went to Nazareth, having started to heal people in Capernaum, The people of Nazareth said, do hear what you did in Capernaum. But many of them didn't have faith because they would even say, isn't this just the son of Joseph and Mary? You know, where did this man get all this knowledge? They they didn't think he was anything special. And it says in John chapter 7 that his own kin, his own cousins, didn't believe that in him, didn't believe in his divinity, didn't believe in his true identity. That means his life in Nazareth with the Virgin Mary 
must have been very much out of the public eye. Does this mean that Jesus wasn't leading? It's a very good question, right? Because a lot of us would say, well, of course it means he wasn't leading because everyone else was leading. And that's why I want to challenge that because I want you to expand your notion of leadership. Why do you only think that leadership is done by those who are in positions of power? I'd like to submit that most leadership is not done by those who are in power. That power is not the sign of leadership. That power, in fact, is, is different from authority. Leadership is always exerted when someone has authority. But authority and power are not the same thing. The difference is that power is on the outside. You could have the, the, the king of Israel, for example. You could have the, 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 the person who's in charge of this or that aspect of the life of Israel at that time. And they would have power on the outside. They could throw you in prison. They could tax you. They could you know, dictate that you may or may not do this or that thing. But that doesn't express the totality of leadership. That expresses a part of it. It's the, the ability for leader, the, the authority of a person to influence the world around them. But the essence of leadership, that stems from the authority that a person has, the power that they have to draw someone from the inside towards a greater level of fulfillment and perfection. That's what authority is. See, authority is a service that you give to those around you of truth. Uh, so in, in a very real sense, a true leader is someone who helps everyone around them wherever they are. And in any circumstances, regardless of their social status or any role of external power, to become truly better, to improve their, their lot in life. And that means that leadership is not just a question of power and, and rule in society. It's much more than that. It's a question of the truth that you have in your hearts. A person who is gripping onto the truth and who knows truth and who's living in the truth will exert a positive influence in everything that they do. Our problem, in other words, isn't that we don't have roles of power or positions you know, of influence in society. All right? our, our problem is that we don't allow ourselves to take the, the truth seriously enough it's like when I hear people say, oh, no, you've got a good heart. You've got a good heart. Well, I appreciate that. That means that you've got good intentions deep down inside. But remember that your hearts are in your bodies. Right? So that means that your good heart ought to be motivating and moving the, the truth of everything that you do. And that if you just have a good heart, but you're constantly failing, your heart might not be good enough. Meaning you can have a fine intention, but a real intention that is something that, that you follow and that you conform yourself to. Someone who really has good intentions, in other words, ought to be on time for meetings, ought to do their work well, ought to be honest, and, and, and their life needs to reflect their heart. That's what I'm saying. And you see, when you do that, and when, when your heart actually informs and directs and, and shapes your life, well, now everything that you touch by your life is influenced by you and you lead wherever you are. It's very important to remember this because most of our life is not spent doing great things. Most of our life, the vast majority of our life is spent in the humdrum of the normal, driving to work, getting into the office, doing our jobs, 
running our companies, managing our people, troubleshooting, you know, uh, making decisions, uh, small decisions every day. This is, this is where our life is spent. And, and, and many of us would think, well, that therefore it's insignificant. And I'd like to say absolutely not. In fact, by doing the small things, we prepare ourselves for the great things and we are able to accomplish the great things as if it was a small thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess I want to de-dramatize the whole situation. We think that somehow or other when we finally do some sort of thing that the world thinks is great, then we'll have earned you know, our success and we'll say that then is success. And I think whenever I've met a truly great leader, I've met someone that accomplishes great things like they were small. And that's because they do the small things like they were great. By accomplishing the small humdrum of our life with the attitude of greatness, we're able to accomplish the great things in life with an attitude of humility. This is a lesson that Our Lady will show us when we look at her life and how she lived it with Christ in Nazareth. Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. The texts and the scriptures are very sparse when it comes to the, uh, the majority of the life of Jesus in the end. The time that he spent from returning from Egypt until when he began his apostolic ministry. In fact, scripture only records two different incidents. One is when he's purified in the temple, he's presented in the temple, right, and given the name Jesus. And then around the age 12, when he goes to the temple with his parents, and then choosing to stay back uh, to, to the temple in order to sit among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And then, of course, you know, having his parents find him. After that, verse 51 of chapter 2 of Luke, we read, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So there you have basically 30 years of the life of Christ summarized in 10 verses of the Bible. <laughs> It, it's, it's really fascinating to me because isn't it the same for us in our life? I mean, if you were to put all the, the, the moments of fame into, you know, you know, one calculation, it'd be a very small number compared to all of the moments of obscurity or just of the humdrum of our normal everyday life. And I, I, I marvel at the fact that the Son of God willed to live that way. You would think that every second of his life would have been spent, you know, working basically for the kingdom. And, and, and it was, it was, but in a different way, right? We would expect it to be going out healing and preaching and teaching from the very beginning. Why in the world would God have even had a childhood? It doesn't make, it seems like a waste of time. Why would we have to wait for him to develop? Why would he, why would he need to grow in wisdom and knowledge? When he's God himself, he shouldn't have to grow, right? Why, why, what's the value of this? What's the value of him being submissive to his mother and to St. Joseph? Someone say there's no value in that. And I wonder if that's precisely not the point. What I mean to say is maybe in fact, God wants to tell us 
just how valuable all of that is in our life as well. We want to identify, you know, all of our success stories and say that that's what makes us great. I, our business crossed the $10 million threshold. Our business just did, you know, $50 million of revenue in a single quarter. You know, whatever kind of thresholds that you want to throw out there. Or you want to say, oh, my kid became the valedictorian at school. You know, this is what makes me something special. And when you think, you look at the life of Christ, 10 times the amount of time was spent in obscurity than was spent doing things in the public eye. 10 times the amount of time. And, be, and do you think that that wasn't as important? Well, if you do, you probably also think that the way that you treat your wives at home isn't as important as what you do at work. And I bet the same way you would say, well, the, the, my, the fact that I'm rearing children at home is not as important as what the people out in society think of me. I bet that there's an analogy between how you look at the little things in the life of Christ and the silence of his home in Nazareth and how you look in your own life at what you do when no one's looking. But isn't that the real truth of who we are? The real truth of who we are is how we act and what we do when no one's there to see it. I'm thinking of a poem that one of my sales friends shared with me back in the day. And I, I'm going to read it to you here, some of it anyway. It's called The Man in the Mirror. And it goes like this. When you get all you want and you struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your mother, your father, or wife whose judgment upon you must pass, but the man whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you right to the end, and you've passed your most difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. The poem goes on, but what it essentially means is that, hey, the truth of who we are is not something that the whole world will notice. And the truth of who we are, that's found in the way that we live the small tasks of our life, the conversations, the time spent, the ch little choices that we make. These are the things that really betray what we have on the inside. And these are the things that really make the difference on the outside. I mean, I'm thinking of a fellow I know who decided to spend one half an hour every week with one of his five children. So he, he put them on a rotating schedule and every week they would come up, you know, a different one once a week. But he would say, I'm going to have a one half an hour of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with each of these children. And that man bore witness to me with great emotion to the fact that after all these years, he has known and spoken one-on-one -on -one with each of his children for, you know, a large amount of time and how valuable that was. And I thought, now that's something that we could all do. Why wouldn't we all do that? I mean, if you weren't, do you want to get to know your children? Well, you can't get to know your children in some sort of like great moment of fanfare. You can get to know your children by choosing to get to know them in small ways, in the humdrum of life. I'm thinking of the fact that virtue is grown in our hearts and in our life. St. Thomas Aquinas says, like a drop of, from, from a faucet onto a stone. <laughs> One drop after the next drop after the next drop, little by little, each drop in some hardly measurable way, wearing away the stone until after thousands and thousands of drops, 
you have the stone worn away by the flow of the water. And St. Thomas Aquinas says, it's the same way with acquiring virtue. Chastity, prudence, temperance, all these kind of things that are so important for us. Patience, magnanimity, courage. These things aren't won instantly. They're won in the daily battle of small decisions, of individual actions that we allow to, to shape our lives, right? And, and so the real battle for the, the finish line is won by the battle for the next inch. And if I can win the battle for the next inch, well, then I'm going to make it to the end goal. That all I have to do is take one more step. And if I just take one more step, I'll walk many, many miles, right? But you, you see how the great accomplishments of life, in other words, can't be bought and they can't be faked. You could fake it, I suppose, on the outside and one way or the other, but you can't fake true leadership. You can't fake true authority. It's something that you gain by what you've lost in order to get there. And what we've lost to get there, hours and hours and days and days and years and years of small choices. The other day I was listening to a, a, one of our great classical guitar uh, performances uh, and I was watching the, an, an interview with the, the guitarist after she had finished a, a splendid concert of Bach and these wonderful pieces of the guitar. And someone asked her the question, you know, how often do you practice? How much do you practice in a day? And this guitarist who had just done this incredible concert said, oh, well, some days I practice seven hours. Some days I practice eight. Some days I practice all day long, 10 or 12 hours. <laughs> You, you realize that what we watched in this concert seemed, seemed so easy. It seemed effortless. And it was just so beautiful. And, and then you're looking at someone who has spent years of their life at practicing for between 5 and 12 hours a day in order to, per, to perform that music. And you say, where's the greatness? Is the greatness really in the concert? Or is the greatness not in all of those small hours that, that went into that concert? Isn't it astounding that Jesus chose to live in a similar way? The great act of the cross extends through his whole life. It wasn't just at that moment that he died upon the cross. He died upon the cross countless times in small ways and, and in the hidden life of Nazareth. And I want to look at that with you. And I want to look at how Our Lady lived that time as well because it's precious for us to be able to find out how we can do the same by living in the small things and leading in the small things. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So most of Jesus's life was spent in, in the, the quiet years, the hidden life of Nazareth. And that also means that most of Mary's life was spent in the hidden years of Nazareth. And her, her leadership with Christ, which we see, of course, so wonderfully as she leads the world to stand at the foot of the cross. And as she leads the apostles in prayer uh, for Pentecost and in, in the nine-day novena between the Ascension and Pentecost. But before those big external kind of actions of leadership, 
Mary spent most of her time taking care of Jesus and living with him in the daily activities of life. And the temptation for us is to say, well, those moments are insignificant. And the message that I'm giving to you is that it's just the opposite. Jesus doesn't do anything that's not significant. In fact, by Jesus living and sanctifying those, he's actually showing us that those very moments have a great importance for us and our leadership and our actions in this world. And the sign of that, of course, is seen in Mary who embraces that time and allows God to form her and she seeks to serve him during those times and in those small tasks. If we follow her example, I think that we can learn a very valuable lesson for ourselves because to focus in on small things that are not noticed by the crowd requires and develops in us a very keen sense of humility, a humility to accept that the present moment is the very spot where we will give the most glory to God. By focusing in on the present moment, we encounter the greatness that's there. I mean, everything that is in God is found in his will for us at this moment in time. What greater thing could there be than to embrace the mystery that God is giving himself to me now, here where I am? I remember St. Teresa of Avila who makes that statement that we need to be able to look for God and to find God as we wash the dishes. And it's a, a real statement, right? You could say, well, that's nothing great about washing dishes. But when washing dishes occupies your present moment of life, it occupies the doorway that leads you directly into an encounter with God. And my challenge to you is, are you living for anything else? When you live for God, you embrace the present moment as something great and glorious. Not because the world thinks it's great or glorious, but because God does. God has given me these circumstances right now, this moment right now in order to meet him there and if i live at that intensity that contemplative gaze right this incredibly beautiful action of my heart of embracing what i've been given even if it's small in the eyes of the world i really don't care what the world thinks anymore about what is big or what is small i'm living focused on god and therefore my present moment is filled with meaning purpose fulfillment and in a sense, there's nothing small about that. Instead of me saying, oh gosh, there's big tasks and little tasks, and most of my time is spent with little tasks, I get to say there's every task that comes from God and that is lived for God is filled with God. And there's nothing small about that. And Mary living her day-to-day -day life with Jesus for the Father, those times must have been filled with such a greatness, a greatness of self-gift, a greatness of sacrifice, a greatness of dedication. It's just that the, the true greatness of those moments is found underneath the mountain of humility. Now Mary's real lesson that she teaches us here in Nazareth is to get over ourselves and the way that the world looks and defines greatness. I will lead better when I lead out of the freedom that comes from my faith, my faith that tells me what is really wonderful and true and good 
And my faith tells me to do the daily tasks that God has put in front of me with the love that God has given me in order to make every one of those daily tasks a hymn of praise to him. And that means that everything that I do, I now get to fill with the love that's in my heart for them and for God. My friends, this is a very powerful lesson for us because when I do that and I embrace that present moment and I embrace the, the daily tasks of life with the, the thirst and the hunger for God that, that comes from a love affair with him, well, then there's nothing small about any day of my life. You know, I, I have the privilege of knowing some contemplative sisters, uh, the Sisters of the Visitation in Toledo, Ohio. They're the cloistered group of nuns. And these women never leave the monasteries, grounds. They, they, they're cloistered and you won't even see them. You won't be allowed to visit with them. They live in, in, in an obscurity with respect to the world. And when you ask them why they're there, you know, there's many different answers, but usually it's because I, I could not live without the focus of being able to offer absolutely everything that I did every day to God. It's not because they're running away from the world. It's not because they can't cope with the world. Not at all. Many of the nuns that are in convents or cloistered communities were more than successful in the world. It's that they are so intense with their love for God that only total focus to be able to accomplish his will in every small thing that they do will suffice for the thirst of their love. And that is such an amazing example of leadership. When you're around, you know, nuns like that, or, you know, cloistered sisters, I mean, you're, you're, you are, you are in presence of someone much more powerful than you. They cut right through everything that we usually fill our lives with. And they do it because everything that they do, they put themselves behind. Christian leadership is accomplishing the great things in the small. And to see the greatness of the small because we see God who's giving us everything every day. And we don't let the world define the parameters of our greatness. We tell the world the definition of true greatness because we demonstrate to the world that we're supposed to be living for God. What an amazing opportunity for us. Our lady leads in the quiet of Nazareth by embracing every moment and every daily task and everything that comes her way with a heart that goes as a servant of God, a heart that approaches the world as God's humble servant. And of course, Jesus is, is teaching her this and leading her this, and she shows us by, by embracing that we actually can embrace Christ. And is there anything greater in the world? Could there be any greater act we could accomplish with our life than to embrace Jesus Christ in the silence and the quietness of every moment of our day. This is the greatness of Our Lady's leadership in Nazareth, and it's a great example for us. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.